today. I pray you like it too. You know, uh, you know, it was. Um, I had a wonderful time um, with y'all putting it together. So I pray that you know you guys like it. Uh, hallelujah. Let's let's jump in. So y'all wants us to study the book of Joshua from the individual perspective of Joshua being the son of Nun. That is the son we sprouted of. That is born again, a man in whom the rock Hakodesh resides. Collectively, we're speaking to those who have went through their wilderness experience and have endured its tests and trials by holding on to Elohim. They have borne the horror of their parents and forefathers, yet they have their old man, that is their flesh man, and his lust broken down, humble, deadened. As a result, they are no longer fleshly or worldly, but are now reborn spiritually via the water of the word in Ruach HaKodesh. Within the book of Joshua, we can expect to learn the plan of Elohim concerning the body of Yahushua, i.e. his ecclesia, and those born-again believers that make up spiritual Israel. We'll learn how they're to enter into the kingdom of Elohim and what to expect one sin as well as how to proceed one sin. Another perspective we'll be exploring is that of the land and the inhabitants of the land, how the land of Canaan speaks to the kingdom of Elohim within you and how its inhabitants relate to the remnants of the fallen angels, the demons, devils, and other unclean spirits which currently inhabit the land um, inherited by the born-again believer. You know, so we're talking about Joshua, and we've been traveling through this book, and today we are on chapter 12. And um, last week we did the previous part of chapter 12, and so today we're going to get into chapter 12. Part B, if you would. So um, we left off at um, verse 6 last week, so we're going to pick it up with verse 7. Verse 7 reads it says, And these are the kings of the country which Joshua and the children of Israel smote on this side of the yard and on the west from the Baal God in the valley of Lebanon, even unto Mount Halak that goeth up to Seir, which Joshua gave unto the tribes of Israel for possession according to their divisions. Okay, so we spoke about the kings that had to be defeated prior to entering into the kingdom. And so if the kingdom is within us, then we would um then then you should understand that we were talking about the things, the kings that had to be defeated before you even enter in to oneself. You know, before you're able to enter in to that kingdom of Elohim, the kingdom of heaven. And we, we spoke about, you know, uh, those kings and what they represented. Now, if you defeat King Sihon, and if you get past Uk, the king of Bashan, then you will find yourself within the kingdom. And there's a whole lot of enemies up in there that must be defeated. And so this is what these kings represent. Now kings, um, as I mentioned um, previously during the book of Joshua, kings speak to truths. You know, and their cities speak to doctrines. You know, and so here it is. Um, 
we read in verse 7 that these are the kings of the country which Joshua and the children of Israel smote on this side of the yard on the west. You know, from Baal God. Now, Baal God means Lord of good fortune. You know, um, and it's in the valley of Lebanon. You know, so here it is. We see that we have to defeat some enemies. You know, we're going to take over this land, you know, um, you know, and we're going to conquer it, you know, and, and so that Yah's people can dwell safely therein, you know, and so we have to evict the inhabitants, you know, and so we have to start, you know, when we get in, we have to start from Baal God in the Valley of Lebanon, you know, now Baal God means Lord of good fortune. You know, so this is whom we have to defeat. You know, uh, you, you you can you can expect the enemy to attack your fortune, especially your good fortune. You know, um, and this is this is the land that we have to inhabit. You know, in our L, you know, he know how to he knows how to give good fortune as well. Make certain you're serving the right one. You know, now take note that it's in the valley of Lebanon. Lebanon um, speaks to that which is white. That's what Lebanon means. You know, now it's in the valley, so it's below that which is white. You know, so the white represents righteousness. So we're talking about a place that's beneath righteousness. You know, so, you know, that's where the Lord of Fortune um, is beneath righteousness. You know, this is where you know he he's he's put his name. So you know, what does that tell us? That tell us that you know we're going to have to on our way. You know, in conquering the land, we're going to have to deal with that. We're going to have to deal with you know making with some things with our finances. You know, now it says even unto Mount Halak. Mount Halak speak to that which is bare or smooth. You know, now, to understand the symbolism involved here, you know, uh, there was uh, two mountains that Yah had Israel stand on. He split them up and he set one on one mountain, one on the other. I believe one of them was Mount Gerizim and I can't remember the name of the other one. But one of them was those who represented the cursed were on the bare mountain and those who represented the blessed of Yah of Yah were on the fruitful mountain. So when I see Mount Halak and it's bare, you know, it makes me think of that mountain and what it represented as far as those that were cursed of Yah. Now, besides that, it says it goeth up unto Seir. Seir Actually, you know, it, it literally means devil or demon. You know, it also can speak to a he-goat, which uh, there's a certain he-goat that is also um, depicted as a devil or a demon. You know, so 
these are the, the lands that they have to that they had to possess according to their divisions you know and so they went out to conquer these places you know verse 8 goes on to say in the mountains and in the valleys and in the plains and in the springs and in the wilderness and in the south country the hittites the amorites the canaanites the perizzites the hivites the Yebusites. now the hittites speaks to those terrorizers that is the oppressors you know like yeah you know um the enemy will oppress you if you allow him to. And the Amorite speaks to the upper class, you know, the mountaineers, the upper class, the sayers, you know, the ones that's always saying stuff. They said this, they said that, he said, she said, you know, the ones that be saying stuff, you know. Yes, you know, so, yes, those those are the Amorites, you know. Um, when you see the Amorites, think propaganda because they're always saying something, you know. Now, the Canaanites speaks to the merchants, think commerce. The Perizzites uh, speak to the inhabitants of the open country. You know, so think rural, you know, those that are kind of, you know, out the way, out of bounds. You know, um, kind of those of the wilderness, if you would. You know, the Hivites speaks to villagers. You know, you think the Hivites, those likely the ones that was at the springs, you know, because that's where you're going to make your village, you know, near the water. You're not going to, you know, make your village way away from the spring, you know. And then you have the Jebusites, which speaks to the trotting, i.e. those who are low. They're the lower, they speak to the lower class. They speak to those who dwelt in the valleys, in the low spots. All right, so we have, we have a lot of enemies you know, in the kingdom of heaven. We have a lot of enemies within us. Amen? You know, so if we're going to conquer the land that Yah has given us, you know, how many of you know that, you know, these bodies we live in, they're just pieces of land. At the end of the day, they go back to dust. What is dust? Land. You know, so the born-again believer truly inherits some land. If you have eyes to see that, you know, if not, just put it on the shelf and pray that y'all bring it down, you know, at, at some point. Now, Joshua 12, 9 goes on to say, it begins to list all these kings that Joshua, you know, who represents the um, the ecclesia and in the, in the, in the believers, you know, of Yahshua, you know, so... That's who Joshua represents. Now, it, it, they go on and they they begin to take the land, take this land. And so they, they destroyed a lot of the enemy so that we can know how to destroy the enemy. Amen? You know, so that we can have a clue. You know, and so from um, Joshua 12, 9 to the end of the chapter, it begins to list all these kings that they defeated. Now, remember, king, scripturally speaking, represent a truth. You know, and their city, you know, or territory represents the doctrine that they rule over. So here it is. We have a king or the truth of Jericho. Now, with unclean kings or with um, wicked kings or the kings of the enemy, they represent mistruths or false truths. Whereas, you know, the kings of, of um, Yah 
represents good truths. Amen? You know, so we're talking about the king of Jericho. You know, so we're talking about the a truth of Jericho, the truth of this doctrine called Jericho. You know, now, Jericho means it's moon or it's month. And Jericho is also called a city of palm trees, which is which is um very important to understand the fullness of what's going on with Jericho. You know, so Jericho speaks to this truth concerning this doctrine about the moon and is considered to be righteous. You know, and we've spoken about this previously when we went over Jericho and how it related to, uh, of all things, you know, the testimony time was full of, you know, um, speech about the calendar. And that's what it represents, the calendar in conjunction with the moon, you know, and how it's viewed as righteous. Now, this is one of the first places, if not one of the first places, it is the first place that once you get in the kingdom has to be destroyed. This truth, this doctrine is one of the is the first doctrine that needs to be destroyed by the would-be believer. You know, and, you know, we have this doctrine that's prevalent today. It's still in existence. Jericho is still around, spiritually speaking, you know, and they still recognize it as righteous to keep Yah's time according to the according to the moon. And this is a very deleterious doctrine and it has to be destroyed by the would-be believer. You know, um, that said, consider the book of Jubilees, chapter 6, verses 34 through 38. My first reader, please. And all the children of Israel will forget and will not find the path of the years and will forget the new months and seasons and Sabbaths. And they will go wrong as to all the other of the years. For I know and from henceforth will I declare it unto thee. And it is not of my own devising. For the book written, book lies written before me and on the heavenly tablet to the heavenly tablets the division of days is ordained lest they forget the feast of the covenant and walk according to the feast of the gentile after their error and after their ignorance for there will be those who will assuredly make observations of the moon how it dis disrupts the seasons and comes in from the year from year to year 10 days too soon for this reason, the years will come upon them when they will disrupt the order and make the abominable day the day of the testimony and the un an unclean day a feast day and they will confound all the days the holy will, holy with the unclean and the unclean day with the holy for they will go wrong 
as to the months and Sabbaths and feasts of Jubilee. For this reason I command and testify to thee that thou mayest testify to them. Hallelujah. Now, this prophecy came to pass, did it not? You know, now, you know, first of, first and foremost, I like to say you can see why Jubilees didn't make it in the canon. Mm -hmm. Amen. You can see why it's not in your King James. Even because it goes against what they purport. You know, but here it is in Jubilees, it's, it's, it's more than, than um, a coincidence that it says, for there will be those who assuredly make observations of the moon. And he said, he goes on to say, for this reason, the years will come upon them when they will disturb the order and make an abominable day, the day of testimony, and an unclean day, a feast day, and they will confound all the days, the holy with the unclean, and the unclean day with the holy. Now, you can just tell by the way this is being presented that it's implied that this was not a good thing. It's not a good thing to confound all the days, the holy with the unclean, and the unclean day with the holy. That is not good. You know, hence, he says, for this reason, I command thee to testify. I command and testify to thee that thou mayest testify to them. So here I am, testifying to thee. You know, this is a doctrine that has to be destroyed in order for you to move on within the kingdom. You know, otherwise you're not going to make it past the shore. Because, you know, this was a formidable foe. You know, their walls were high and tall, you know, and needed Yah's help to even to even um, get past them. And so, you know, the reason we know what we know today is because we received Yah's help. He brought those walls down when he revealed the Dead Sea Scrolls. So those walls that was protecting this doctrine failed the day that the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And that's when the trumpet sounded and the walls fell. And now we know. Amen. And I continue on and it says, you know, that was one king. And then it says the king of Ai, you know, which is beside Bethel. You know, now, we went over this previously, and so AI speaks to the ruins, Bethel, the house of Elohim. You know, so you put the two together, you had a ruined house of Elohim. You know, and so this is another doctrine that has to be destroyed. Because we have a we have a ruined house of Elohim. You know, we have we have many many of these ruins you know all over the place they are almost on every corner right say lie you know but these doctrines have to be you know they have to be be done away with you know yah's temple bears his name you know, I even give credit to the Jehovah Witnesses. At least they're trying to call on his name. You know, others, they just claim to be the house of God. 
Well, there's many gods. Which one are you the house of? Say it loud. Joshua 12, 10, the king of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem means teachings of peace. Now, we have to defeat this truth concerning peace. You know, this truth concerning the doctrine of peace. Now, our enemy's teachings of peace travels upon this road. Let's take a journey with me. It's found in Deuteronomy 29, 18 through 20. My next reader, please. Lest there should be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turneth away this day from Yahuwah our Elohim to go and serve the gods of these nations, lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. And it come to pass when he heareth the words of this curse, that he bless himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of my heart to add drunkenness to thirst. Yahuwah will not spare him, but then the anger of Yahuwah and his jealousy shall smoke against that man, and all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him, and Yahuwah shall blot out his name from under heaven. Hallelujah. Now, this is literally what is being taught today in many of these houses of God. You know, now, it's being taught that you can walk in the imagination of your heart and add drunkenness to thirst and still have peace. You know, and many of these people who do such bless themselves and saying, I'm still going to have peace. Not realizing that they've turned their heart away from Yahuwah, our Elohim, and they have went to serve the gods of these nations. Well, what do they serve the gods of these nations, Pastor Obadiah? Well, I'm glad you asked because they serve them in those houses of God. They serve them in the houses of God. Well, which God? I don't know whichever one they serving. See, I know I serve Yahuwah in his temple. And I know I serve him in his temple because he's placed his name in it. And this is where he tells us to go and serve, where we find his name. Amen? Now, a, pop, a popular teaching of peace today is entailed within, within the doctrine which teaches that Jesus done it all. And maybe Jesus do it, did do it all. But Yahshua didn't. You know, Yahshua, he did it so that we can know how to do it. Did you catch that? Yahshua did what he did so that we would know what to do and how to do it. So Yahshua came as the way so that we might know the way to everlasting life. He walked the way that leadeth unto everlasting life so that we would know how to walk the way to everlasting life. Now he didn't have to do that, but he did. And he did it so that we would know how to do it. 
Hence he says, pick up your torture stake and follow me. Well, if you don't have to do anything and you don't have to go anywhere, then why do you need to follow? You can't have it both ways. You know, and so this doctrine says that, you know, Jesus done it all so that we don't have to. You know, we don't have to, we don't have to um, do what y'all say. We don't have to, you know, carry out his commandments. You know, I mean, even though like all through scripture, people get in trouble for not keeping his commandments, they teach you don't have to do it because Yahshua fulfilled it. And Yahshua didn't even say that. He said, think not that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. Well, think not don't mean think so. <laughs> Yahushua, i.e. the word, teaches peace quite differently. The word teaches peace in Psalms 85.10. It teaches us the doctrine of priests. It says, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. That's how close righteousness and peace is. That's how close righteousness and peace is. They so close, they, they kissing each other. No righteousness, no peace. And if you don't have any peace, it's probably because you don't have any righteousness. Mm, mm, mm. Oh, Psalms 37, 37 and 8 teaches us the doctrine of peace. It says, mark the perfect man, that is the complete man, and behold the upright, that's the righteous, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. Now you see how Psalms 37 don't contradict Psalms 85. Mm -hmm. Righteousness and peace still together. Mm -hmm. Psalms 119, 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy Torah, and nothing shall offend them. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. 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 Yeah. See, if you want peace, mm -hmm. then you have to learn to love Yah's Torah. You have to learn to walk in his will, way, and purposes. Psalms, I'm sorry, Isaiah 48, 17, and 18. Thus saith Yahuwah, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am Yahuwah, thy Elohim, which teacheth thee to profit. Anybody want to profit? Which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldst go. Oh, that thou hast hearkened unto, hearkened to my commandments. Then had thy peace been as a river, and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. You see the peace and the righteousness, they still hanging out together. See, because when you find one, you find another. You know, again, if you have no peace, it's because you have no righteousness. Say a lie. Now, the next king, or false truth, and false doctrine is the false truth of Hebron. Now, Hebron, you know, means 
communion or association. So this is going to be a doctrine concerning communion or association. So the false truth or doctrine concerning communion or association looks like this. Let me have my next reader read Matthew Yahoo 7, 1 through 3, then jump down to James 4, 11 and 12. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with that judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. <laughs> and why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, <laughs> but considereth not the beam that is in thy own eye? Hallelujah. Speak not evil of one another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother, speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judges another? Hallelujah. If I had a dollar for every time I heard this, I'd tell you I'd be rich. You know, I can't tell you how many times, you know, somebody done said, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. Judge not that you be not judged. You know, this is a false doctrine. I know it sounds good. I know it looks like it's supported. See, but if you don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth, then you're not going to get the fullness of what's being taught. You know, this people take and run and they say, see, you're not supposed to judge. Who are you to judge is another? See, but this isn't all scripture has to say on the subject. Amen. This is a false doctrine. This is a false truth concerning communion or association, just like the king of Hebron. And it needs to be destroyed. When you don't judge those around you, you become ignorant of who your enemy is. They could be right next to you and you not know it because you don't want to judge nobody. The scriptural truth concerning communion or association with others is that we are supposed to judge people. To exemplify this concept, let us consider the following passage. Found in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. It says, be not equally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship have righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion have light with darkness? And what concord have Mashiach with Belial? Or what have he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement have the temple of Elohim with idols? For ye are the temple of the living Elohim. As Elohim have said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their Elohim and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them. And be ye separate, say of the Adonai, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, say of the Adonai Almighty. Hallelujah. Now ask yourself, how can you do these things without judging? 
How can you know whether or not you're yoked with an unbeliever without judging the one you yoked with? How can you know whether or not you have a communion with darkness unless you judge what's light and what's dark? How can you know whether or not you're with a believer or an infidel unless you judge between the two? How are you going to know who to come out and be separate from unless you learn to judge those that are around you? Consider 1 Corinthians 5, 9-13. Because we're about to get to the truth of the matter. Apostle Paul teaches. I wrote unto you in an epistle. Not to company with fornicators. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world. Or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. Period. Let's stop right there. He wrote to them not the company with fornicators. But he, listen to what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not talking about the fornicators of the world. I'm not telling you not the company with the fornicators of this world. I'm not telling you not the company with the covetous of the world. I'm not telling you not the, um, not the company with the extortioners or with the, the idolaters of this world. Because if you were to do that... You'll need to go out of the world. Can you see that? Yah doesn't want us out of the world. He wants us in the world. He just don't want us of the world. Amen. Verse 11 continues on. It says, but now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one, no, not to eat. Do you get it now? He's not saying stay away from all these type of people that's in the world. He's saying stay away from the ones who call themselves brothers in the faith. He says stay away from the hypocrites. With such a woman, no, not to eat. Verse 12 continues on. He says, for what have I to judge them also that are without? Those without the faith. You know, see, just to put it in perspective with, with um, where we are in Joshua. So we're, we're, we're in the land. We're in the kingdom, right? You know, now, you have... Israel. Israel was um, at one point was 600,000 plus women and children. So we're talking like you know well over a million people. Amen? Okay, so there were people that inhabited the land. You know, I'm, I'm pretty certain they were numerous as well. Probably, well actually scripture teaches they was much more numerous. Now, there's no way you can memorize the faces of that million people that make up Israel. Right. It's just not possible. So how. Would you know if you're dealing. 
with someone of Israel or with one of the inhabitants of the land. And even more so, how would you know if you're dealing with someone that was Israel or other land or wasn't of the land, but was from beyond the land? Remember what happened with the Gideonites, right? They wasn't able to discern. Remember? You know, so what Paul is teaching us is that we're to... For those who are within, those are the ones that we're to judge. So if someone's claiming to be a brother or a sister in the faith, yet they're a fornicator, or they're covetous, or they're an idolater, or a reveler, or a drunkard, or extortioner, so on and so forth. Them the ones you're supposed to judge against. Amen? We don't worry about them that's out the faith. Because they're like those that are out the land. They're not in the kingdom. But remember in the kingdom. There's not just saints. They're not just. It's not just wheat. There's also tares. Didn't Yahshua teach us that? So you have to be able to discern one from the other. You have to judge. But you judge those that are within. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? That's who we're supposed to judge. But them that are without, Elohim judges. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. You know, so if you running around with somebody calling themselves a saint, saying they're a brother or a sister and they're not right, mm -hmm. and, you know, now, you should be offended by the hypocrisy. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. You should be offended by the hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. But if you're offended, then you should go and follow the Matthew 18 process. Now, that's a different chapter in the same book, but we're not going to go there. But that's what you need to do. Hallelujah. So, you see, y'all doesn't want us judging the world at this point. We hang on long enough, you know, maybe we'll get a chance to do that too. But he don't want us judging the world at this point. For how then could we testify of him and possibly save some of them? And we're going around judging, you know, those that are without, how are we going to save any of them? Mm -hmm. If we cut ourselves off from them, how are we going to save them? How are we going to testify to the goodness of Yah? How are they going to be invited to come into the fold? Now you see why Yah don't want us to leave out the world. Mm -hmm. Rather, he wants us to cut off the religious hypocrites from our lives. Them the ones that we have to do away with. Amen? You know, John 7, 24 says, this is Yahshua speaking. He says, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. So the same one that said, 
don't judge is not telling you to judge. So that tells you right there that it was more to the story. Amen? Amen. But so so many people, they find one, one thing that aligns with their line of thinking and they run with it and make a whole doctrine out of it. And that's a dangerous thing to do. So you see, Yahshua is saying, judge not according to the appearance. He's not saying don't judge. He said, judge not according to the appearance. So in other words, don't judge, you know, based upon what it looked like to you. But judge righteous judgment. Well, what's righteous judgment, Pastor Obadiah? Well, I'm glad you asked. Remember when we, um, when we spoke about James... You know, James 4.12, he said, There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judges another? Mm -hmm. You know, that one lawgiver is Yah, is it not? Yeah. You know, now, Yah, if we use his Torah, if we use his laws, if we use his word, if we filter the situations and circumstances through his word, his laws, his Torah, then who's doing the judging? At the end of the day, it's Yah's judgment, isn't it? So to judge righteously is to filter the situation or circumstances through the Torah of Elohim. For as Yaakov mentioned, there's only one lawgiver. So Yahuwah Elohim is the one who gave all the laws. Therefore, for, therefore, what comes forth from that said filtration is nothing less than the judgment of Yahuwah. It's not your judgment. You know, and if it's the judgment of Yahuwah, then you can rest assured knowing that it's righteous judgment. Amen? Verse 11. You know, Joshua 12, 11 speaks of King Yarmuth. Yarmuth speaks to he will be lifted up. It speaks to elevation, heights, exaltation. Now the false truth, so now we're talking about a truth, or we're talking about the truth of a doctrine concerning elevation, concerning being lifted up, concerning being exalted. Now the false truth concerning elevation or heights and exaltation stems from the following. It stems from 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. It says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brother, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Yahushua died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Yahushua will Elohim bring with them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Adonai, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Adonai shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Adonai himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of Elohim and the dead in Mashiach shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds okay. to meet the Adonai in the air and so shall we ever be with the Adonai. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Mm -hmm. 
Now, this passage is the primary passage that's utilized for the doctrine of elevation. The doctrine that teaches that thou should be lifted up, called the rapture. Now, this is a false doctrine. The way this doctrine usually goes is that, you know, um, before the great tribulation happens, Yah will rapture up all his people. And so the wicked will be left, you know, and to go through the great tribulation and experience the pouring out of his wrath, you know, that come afterwards. This is a false doctrine. Scripture does not teach this. To properly understand this passage, let us consider how the author of Scripture used the term cloud elsewhere. Again, you don't just take one verse and make a doctrine out of it and, and go run with it. You know, let me have my um, next reader read Hebrews 12, 1 through 4, and then Proverbs 25, 14, and then lastly, Jude 1, 12, please. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beseech us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Yahushua, the author and the finisher of, the, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despairing the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of Elohim. For consider him that endures such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Hold it right there. Just hold on to the mic. We're going to come back to you in a second. We're gonna, we, we need to address this just a, just a tad bit. So he says, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. He just got finished in, in chapter 11, giving um, all these witnesses to, to those who were faithful and how they bore witness to the goodness of Yah, amen? You know, and so now he's saying, you know, like, we have all, we have this great cloud of witnesses, you know, so the term cloud is used, spiritually speaking, you know, to reference witnesses. Can you see that? Hence, they're called a cloud of witnesses. You know, now, this is not the only place that the cloud is referenced you know, um, in conjunction with being witnesses. All right, could you please read Proverbs 25, 14 and Jude 1, 12, please. Proverbs 25, 25, 14. Who himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. Okay, hold up right there. Now, can you see that him who has a false gift is like clouds without rain. So, now, he who has a false gift is like unto one um, who's a witness, 
and they have this false gift and they're utilizing this gift, you know, but they don't have any reign. That is, they don't have any teaching, no understanding, you know. Now, beautiful um, picture of this is, you know, that we see prevalent now today is, is the gift of prophecy. Everybody in their mother and father is a prophet these days. <laughs> prophet so-and-so, prophetess so-and-so, prophets upon prophets. You know, they are literally, now, you know, now they are literally, now you, you can you know, spark your own investigation if you like, but I'm here to tell you, there are literally many prophets that have a false gift. Many of them are prophesying through tarot cards. Many are prophesying through tea leaves. Mm -hmm. Many are prophesying via reading palms. Mm -hmm. You know, these are false gifts. And they don't edify the body. You know, if you listen to uh, many of these so-called prophets' prophecies, it's all about you're going to get this new business. You're going to get this new ministry. You're going to get this new house. You're going to get this new car. Let me tell you something about the prophet of Elohim. Mm -hmm. The true prophet of Elohim will always discover your sin. Yes. Mm. True. <laughs> because Yah sends his prophets mm -hmm. that he might be saved. Right. Yeah. He's not going to bless the wicked. <laughs> Quite the contrary. He's going to curse him real good. <laughs> you know, so those who boast of themselves of well, the false gift is like clouds without rain. Mm. You know, they don't have anything to nurture the seed. They don't have anything mm -hmm. to help the seed grow within the individual. What does the seed represent? The word of Elohim, exactly. You know, seeds need rain. They don't need houses and cars. They need rain. They need counsel from on high. All right, Jude 112. These are the spots in your feast of charity. When they feast with you, Feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of wind trees whose fruit with wither without fruit, twice dead, plunk up by the roots. Hallelujah. So again, you see clouds without water. Can you see that this is not talking about clouds? It's talking about people. Mm -hmm. It's talking about um, would-be witnesses. You know. We, we, we know they're talking about witnesses because, you know, it's, we're not talking about the wicked that's out in the world because they're, they're at your feast. They're at your feast. See, because, but you, 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 you don't mind because, you know, you're not supposed to judge nobody. Say lie. Right? You know, feeding themselves without fear. But take note, they're twice dead. 
plucked up by the roots. A fruit withereth. The fact of the matter is that there will be a gathering of saints. Not only in the fashion commonly taught via the um, only not in the fashion of uh, commonly taught via the rapture. There will be a gathering of saints. Only not in the fashion commonly taught via the rapture. You know, you're not just gonna, you know, y'all is not just gonna, you know, say, okay, it's time for the rapture, and everybody's just gonna be floating up in the sky, you know, and you know, like like they balloons or something. No. No, but there will be a gathering of the saints. You know, but I'm gonna to try to show you these 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 clouds, you know. You know, these clouds that Yahshua come back in. Amen. Consider Revelation 6, 9 through 11. It says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of Elohim and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Adonai, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. Remember that. White robes were given unto every one of them. Remember that. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren should that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Amen. All right. So we're talking about some folks that was under the altar. The souls of them that had been slain for the word of Elohim and for the testimony which they held. Now this altar is not the earthly altar. This is the heavenly altar. We're talking about the altar of Elohim that's in the heavens. Amen. Amen. You know, now they were up in the heavens. But how did they get there? They were the souls of them that were slain. For the word of Elohim and for the testimony which they held. That's how they got there. They wasn't raptured up. Floating off into never ever land. And when they were there. They began to cry out. Asking for vengeance. But instead they received white robes. And told that they should rest a while. Until the rest of their brethren should be killed as they were. Well, how were they killed? They were slain for the word of Elohim and for the testimony which they held, which was the testimony of Yahushua. Now, we, ne we next hear these which were given these white robes in the very next chapter. Remember, these are they which were slain for the word of Elohim and for the testimony of Yahushua. Everybody still with me? Yeah. All right, let's go to the next occurrence, which is in Revelation 7, 9. It says, after this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. So these are these very same people who received their robe in chapter 6. These are these very same people the souls of them that were slain for the word of Elohim and for the testimony in which they had. Now, they all have these white robes. Mm -hmm. Amen? Amen? Now, 
we're going to find out who they are. We jump down to Revelation 7, 13 and 14. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? Now this is the elder asking Apostle John. He, and in verse 14 he says, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest? Mm -hmm. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You know, so if you're going to be raptured up before the tribulation, then you're not going to be one of these. And I assure you, you want to be one of these. So if you were raptured up before the great tribulation, you're going to find yourself in a whole heap of mess. These are they which came out of great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Still can't see that these are the clouds of witnesses in which Yahushua returns in. Think about it. It's a great big old crowd no man can number. They all have on white. Now if they was in the sky, what would they look like? But I know you still can't see it, right? <laughs> now, they were gathered not prior to the Great Tribulation, but during the Great Tribulation. Hence, they were told in Revelation 7, 14 that they came out of Great Tribulation. How did they come out? Recall that we were told in Revelation 6, 9 through 11, how they came out, that they were slain. That's how they came out of Great Tribulation. By being slain. Well, why were they slain? They were slain due to the word of Elohim and to the testimony of Yahushua HaMashiach, which is why they were given the white robes. Now, that said, let us consider Revelations 19, 7, 8, which speaks about these folks with these robes. It says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife have made herself ready. And unto her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, we jump down to verses 13 through 16. It says, and he was clothed. Now, I'm speaking about our Messiah here. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of Elohim. Do I, do, everybody should know that that's Yahshua right there. But in case you're not convinced, we're going to go to verse 14, you know, through 16. It says, and the armies, the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now they following him. Now, they're in heaven right now. Amen? But they're about to come to the earth. And these armies, which all are on white horses and have white gowns on, are coming with them. And out of his mouth, verse 15, and out of his mouth go of a sharp sword, that with it he shall smite the nations and shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath 
of Almighty Elohim. And he have on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. 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 So when you see scriptures speak of him coming in the clouds, understand that the clouds speak to a cloud of witnesses. It's not the dark clouds of the wicked that have no rain, but it is the bright white clouds of righteousness that he's coming back with. And those clouds are going to make up his army as well as his wife. Hallelujah. There's one other false doctrine concerning King Yarmouth, that is, being lifted up to elevation or heights or exaltation that I'd like to address, and that is that saints will live in the heavens. They won't. You know, everybody's thinking, you're going to die and go to heaven. You know, you're going to die. <laughs> you know, but that don't mean you're going to live in heaven. You know, consider Revelations 21, 2 through 8. It says, And I, Yochanan, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from Elohim out of heaven. Whoa. Now that's where we're supposed to live, right? Where is it coming? It's coming down from heaven. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of Elohim is with men. Let me tell you something. If you don't become a tabernacle of Elohim in the here and now, you won't be a tabernacle of Elohim in the hereafter. Say lie. Behold, the tabernacle of Elohim is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and Elohim shall himself shall be with them and be their Elohim. Is that not the promise that was given to Israel when they covenanted with the Most High? Yep. Verse 4. And Elohim shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his Elohim and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars shall have their part in a lake which burn up with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Mm. So you see, New Jerusalem is going to descend upon the earth, and we're going, that's where we're going to dwell, upon the earth, and Yah is going to dwell within us, right. in the city of New Jerusalem. So please understand, you know, you're not going to heaven to live. Right. You know, heaven's coming to the earth. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 That's all I have for you today. Prayer was a blessing.